Welcome. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening to Star Wars Comics in Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 38, and I'm centralling around the character, Thrawn. Now for this episode in particular, I am going to be tackling the Thrawn comic miniseries. It's a six-part series, and it's an adaptation of the Thrawn novel. So for some clarity on the character and all the other sort of bits and pieces that come with it, Thrawn was very first introduced in Star Wars Legends. He was in the Heir to the Empire trilogy of books, which was written by Timothy Zahn, and he was created by Timothy Zahn, and they were meant to serve as sequels to the original trilogy. Now, these were out, I believe, in the 80s, so it was before even the prequels were on the table or anything like that, so they've got a lot of weight to them for a lot of, um, especially the older Star Wars fans and things, people who enjoyed Legends a lot more in the sort of right context. And and he is recently getting more and more traction because he was the main antagonist in seasons three and four of the animated show Star Wars Rebels, which I wholeheartedly recommend. It's brilliant. And then he was also named in an episode of The Mandalorian by a certain character. And so I thought it'd be a good time as we've I've just finished watching the last episode of Mandalorian. I won't say anything that happens in it or anything like that. But I thought this is a good time to kind of give some information on Thrawn. And then you guys can do some reading on Thrawn or research of any kind if you want to find out more information about him. Because he's likely going to be in either one of the recent Disney Plus shows that's been announced or potentially even later on in The Mandalorian. So as I said, in canon, his first introduction was in Star Wars Rebels, and then Timothy Zahn, the creator of the character and the writer of the Air Empire trilogy in the 80s, he also has written not one, but two trilogies of Thrawn books. So there's the first Thrawn trilogy, which is Thrawn, Thrawn Alliances, and Thrawn Treason. Those three are all set before Star Wars Rebels, and this specific episode that I'm doing is, as I said, it's about the six-part mini-series of comics, which is an adaptation of the first Thrawn novel. It's how Thrawn gets into the Empire, how he ascends the ranks, that sort of thing. Thrawn Alliances is Thrawn. It's like two stories going on at once, one that's really old and one that's new. The old one is set before even this Thrawn story I'm going to be going into, where Thrawn meets Anakin Skywalker, and then also at sort of an air quotes present day, which is set... I think it's before season four of Rebels, but after season three, he goes on a mission with Darth Vader and it's basically him finding out and kind of working out that Anakin and Darth Vader are the same person. So that's quite interesting. And then there's also Thrawn Treason, um, which is about Thrawn kind of having to balance up uh, some sort of path between the Chiss Ascendancy and the Empire, which I'll get into that a little bit more uh, sort of later on. And then the second Thrawn Trilogy only currently has one book out. It's the Ascendancy Trilogy. The first book is Chaos Rising. The second book is going to be called Greater Good, and that's going to be out April 2021 and the third book has not been named as of yet uh, and the ascendancy trilogy is much more focused on the chiss ascendancy chiss is the species that thrawn is they are blue skinned and red eyed they live in the unknown regions and they haven't had really any contact with many of the civilizations uh, that are in the core worlds or anything like that and as i said the ascendancy trilogy is all focusing on the chiss homeworlds and their sort of hierarchical political and social systems 
Thrones and all that sort of stuff and it's focusing on Thrawn before the events of this comic slash book uh, which I'll get into a little bit more towards the end of this as well. And so I've got just almost a little dump of information about Thrawn and then I'll kind of get into the comic itself, you know, who wrote it, etc, etc, and then we'll go from there. So, also I want to mention in Thrawn Treason, the third instalment of this book trilogy I'm going to be going into, Thrawn also meets uh, Awesome Krennic, who is the main baddie in Rogue One. So Thrawn was from the planet Rentor, and I'm going to try and pronounce his name, and it's quite hard. It's basically Mithrawn Naruodo. And essentially, if you take off the MIT at the start and the Urudo at the end, it says Thrawn. And that's his sort of new name. Basically, when he was quite young, he was adopted by a much more socially proficient family, shall we say. They had a lot more money. They had a much higher social status and social standing and things. And so he basically became part of them. The way it kind of seems to work uh, with the Chiss language and the basically the Chiss naming and things is it's sort of three parts of their name and it's split into sort of their family, their name and another aspect of it. I don't want to delve too hard into that, but it is all sort of explained in more depth in the Chaos Rising book that's in the first of the Ascendancy trilogy that was out fairly recently. It goes into more information about that. He does have a previous name. I'm not going to read it, um, but if you really want to find out that specifically, uh, look online. Um, Thrawn had a Force-sensitive three-year-old sister, and she was taken to basically be used as a Skywalker, as in Sky-Walker, because in the Chiss language, essentially, young girls are Force-sensitive. They use their Force-sensitivity to be navigators in the fleet of the Chiss, instead of having like really fancy navi-computers and things, and I'm not 100% sure if they've even cracked the specifics of hyperspace travel and whatnot. They use these Force-sensitive girls, who seem to be, once they hit maturity, they seem to lose a lot of their for sensitivity but essentially they stand really layman's terms they basically stand at the front of the ship while the ship is going ridiculously fast and it, they kind of navigate them that's basically what they do and they call this third sight and as i said it's usually gone with maturity and you for the most part it's with young chiss girls i don't know if it's been confirmed if any chiss men or boys have it and then finally yeah uh thrawn he attended an academy on rentor uh the myth family accepted and adopted him and then that's how he got into that and that's how he kind of his name slightly changed and things so thrawn came has always been like rising in the ranks and things and impressing people and it's all about the chiss ascendancy and it's all about the species of people who there's this bigger threat in the universe and it's about them kind of trying to work out how to get this threat away it's in legends it's kind of flushed out but in canon they're kind of redoing it and things and i think mandalorian or some of the other sequel series are going to jump off that they're going to delve more into the chiss ascendancy and things for people who don't want to read you know basically six books about it so that's generally the, the main basis of Thrawn, and this book is basically a prequel to Star Wars Rebels. So when you see him in Star Wars Rebels, there's all kind of a build-up to that, which is it's quite interesting, it's quite cool. I, I would say, the for me personally, I didn't overly love the comic adaptation. I, I did enjoy it, I thought it was good, but it's very about Thrawn, obviously, but it, it kind of is much more about him rising in the ranks of the Empire, and he is good. It's definitely not bad. It's just that it's n it doesn't grab me in the same way. I, I do like Thrawn. He's a really, really cool character, and I'm very excited to see what he does, but I haven't read the other Thrawn novels because it's just like, I don't want to necessarily read basically six whole books all about the Chiss 
or Thrawn, I'm not as invested in that side of Star Wars. I'm interested. I'm just not as much. So if anyone has read all these books and there are tiny bits of information missing, I am. There are certain pieces of information I'm deliberately not putting in because it just opens a whole other can of worms. I'm trying to kind of glaze over certain things, but also know that I'm. I haven't read everything, and I'm not. I don't know everything, everything about it. So just to clarify that before we start. But anyway, let's get onto the comic adaptation. So as I said, this is based on the Timothy Zahn book, which is just called Thrawn. It was adapted for a comic and basically written by Jody Hauser. The artist is Luke Ross, the colourist is Nolan Woodard, and issue number one was released in February 2018, issue number six was released in January 2018, and the full trade paperback collection is September 2018. And also, I've tried looking, there are no other comic adaptations of um, the other Thrawn books. I would like there to be, because I find comics a bit reader they're a bit easier to read than, you know, a whole book necessarily it, for some people. And I, I would be interested that I can have like the collection of Thrawn comics, but judging by there now being on the fourth, soon to be fifth Thrawn book, and there hasn't been any mention of other comics, I feel like they didn't do that well sales-wise because I imagine anyone who's super into Thrawn and loved the Legends material and wants to get into the new canon of Thrawn probably just picked up the books. And people who aren't that interested probably didn't really bother with the book or the comic. So that's kind of my thoughts there. Um, but anyway, this comic, uh, it starts off being set, The whole this whole comic is set between episodes three and episode four of Star Wars. Um, so 19 BBY, 19 years before the Battle of Yavin is when episode 3 happens, so that's Revenge of the Sith, and obviously 0 BBY or 0 ABY is around the time the Death Star blew up. And when he shows up in Rebels, it seems to be about 2 or 3 years before the Battle of Yavin, so that's series you know, 3 and 4 of Star Wars Rebels. So judging by this sort of time, I think it was pretty close to the start as like really soon after the Empire sort of took over. And in the first comic, when you see some troopers looking for him, some stormtroopers, it looks like the same stormtrooper armor that is in episode three, what the clones are wearing. So, you know, there's the clone armor from episode two. Then there's the clone armor from episode three, which is like halfway between stormtrooper armor and the original clone armor. And then it transitions into the normal standard stormtrooper armor. So because this doesn't show the standard stormtrooper armor and it's still that sort of episode three armor that would allude to it being very 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 close to the end of the clone wars to the end and after order 66 when the empire took over so i would be inclined to say this is probably around 18 or 19 years before the battle we have in and this comic it takes place over periods of time so i wouldn't be surprised if each of these comics is almost like a year or two sort of time-wise. Uh, it could potentially even be more than that. There's six comics. If they were approximately two or so years long each in general, that would make it about 12 years. If they were then, you know, around 18 BBY, that would push it plus 12 years would be about six BBY. And then that's only a year or so before Star Wars Rebels starts. So that is a general idea of what you can kind of go with. Obviously with Star Wars, with certain things, they're not you know, to the T when it comes to timeline and wise uh, and things. But that's generally what you can kind of expect. And the way these books are, they're essentially monologues from this guy called Eli Vanto. He is or becomes Thrawn's aide, essentially. And it's him kind of talking about how he 
met Thrawn. He's kind of basically almost like writing a journal about Thrawn because of how he gets treated differently and all that sort of other stuff. And him being basically the only Imperial officer who is an alien. Uh, because for people who don't know, the Galactic Empire is heavily racist. So there's almost no one who's in any of the Imperial uh, Army, Navy or anything like that if they are alien. Unless there's a really... Sp- either they're being used for a very, very specific reason or if, like Thrawn, they are just excellent and they rise up the ranks and that's it's basically one or the other but that's one of the reasons why the empire is almost all human because basically palpatine's racist and doesn't believe that aliens for the most part are as kind of impure as humans obviously that kind of gets into the sort of nazi dictatory sort of not specific dictators but it gets into the sort of nazism and the very much the imagery of the empire and things so yeah interesting in that regard so there's no specific title crawl with this um there are just basically each comic starts with a thing which says Vanto's log and it gives the mission the operatives and notes so I'll read the first one I might read some of the others I haven't really decided yet um but essentially it does this mission study the mysterious settlement and crash site on an unnamed planet in wild space beyond the outer rim in the unknown regions operatives Captain Park of the Imperial Navy Myomar Imperial Academy Adets notes Unknown alien protocols. When a new species is discovered, it is to be contacted and studied for posterity. Republic procedure. So yeah, and as I said, Eli Vanto is sort of the main character along with Thrawn. And I've also taken photos, as I do with every episode of Star Wars Comics and Canon, I've taken photos of the covers of the comics, as well as I've taken a photo of one of the inside of a comic. There's quite a cool uh, big hole panel that I quite like the look of. I'll be posting that on Instagram. Uh, it will likely be on Sunday, so that'll be tomorrow, which is the 20th of de- December. That's probably when I'm going to be uh, posting about it, because I don't think I'm going to today, which is when I'm recording, which is the Saturday. So check out on Instagram. I think I'll be putting them on Facebook as well if you follow me on there, and I'll be putting a few on Twitter too. So anyway, you follow me on social media, you can see some of these uh, covers and whatnot, and one of the panels that I thought was quite cool, as well as I did take the photo of the first sort of crawl thing. I just want to add that a lot of these comic panels are done really well. They look much more like the sort of old school way of doing it. The way I'd compare it to is, if any of you guys have read Batman The Killing Joke, where it's, you know, especially the colorized version, where each page is more or less like nine panels so nine smaller things almost the size of like a credit card sort of thing that's what a lot of these comics are like a lot of the panels do that which i quite like i think it's cool so this all starts off with basically a group of um, imperials and as i said the um, stormtroopers are still wearing the sort of clone stormtrooper armor and they're going around because as i said the mission objective thing i read out they've basically discovered there's some sort of new alien or whatever and they're trying to kind of handle it in some ways so I'm going to read what Eli Vanto's monologue is, which basically gives a bit more of details of what the Chiss actually are and things. Um, So yeah, I'm going to read that now. Back home on Lysatra, there are myths about beings named the Chiss. They come from the unknown regions, and they haven't been seen for hundreds of years. The tales speak of Chiss unity and military prowess, cleverness, tactics, maintaining control of the situation. It is said that Chiss do not make idle boasts or promises. Once they set their mind to something, they succeed or they die in their attempt. And while that's happening, it basically shows that Thrawn is outmaneuvering and outflanking and doing very clever things to basically outwit the Imperials looking for him, and he manages to basically get one of the stormtroopers, take off his armour, he wears it for himself, sneaks on board, and then approaches them, the people in charge, and takes his helmet off. An Imperial officer called Captain Park speaks to Thrawn and asks if he speaks basic, and Eli Vanto, who's the person who's monologuing, says... Or would Cybisti be better? And he says that in Cybisti. And Vanta says, In the stories, the Chiss use Cybisti in their dealings with us. And then Thrawn says back in Cybisti, As you also use that language with us. 
And then Vanto says, so you understand basic then? And Thrawn says, he understands some, but he's more comfortable with the language of Cybisti. And the Imperial officer says, well, your comfort is not our priority at the moment, so speak basic. And essentially the conversation goes on and Eli Vanto basically gets pushed to be Thrawn's translator because he's the only person who can really speak Cybisti. And Thrawn asks for an audience with the Emperor and he agrees and he basically gets taken there. He speaks with the Emperor and he basically pledges to serve the Emperor. He mentions the Chiss, the Empire and meeting Anakin Skywalker, and which Palpatine says, yes, Anakin let me know before he perished. Um, so obviously Vader's told him about it. And basically what it is, is Thrawn says the Chiss have got some sort of massive enemy coming towards them and he wants, basically he feels like if he can work with the Empire enough and help them enough, if that great enemy comes out, the Chiss and the Empire can work together to defeat it. Now, I may be wrong here, but I have a feeling the enemy could be the Uzon Vong. It's something that's been in Legends quite a lot. Uh, and they're, from what I know, they're, they're basically force-resistant beings or something similar to that. As I said, they're in Legends, that's not my forte. I don't know a huge, huge amount about them. But it's basically this big baddie that's like in the Heir to the Empire books. I believe they were part of the sort of the big bad. Anyway, the, uh, Palpatine agrees and he has Vanto stationed on Coruscant and he basically does that because Thrawn asked him to and so Vanto becomes his full-on translator. You know, Vanto and Thrawn go to this Imperial officer called Dean Lark and Dean Lark gives Thrawn a lieutenant ranking. Uh, Thrawn seems fairly happy with that or as happy as he is because he's not very emotional as an individual and Vanto says it's actually a bad thing because essentially he's saying that you've been given this thing of power and a lot of people are going to view that you're not deserving of it so they're going to sort of undermine you people are going to talk and try and kind of get around your back and things people who are higher than you are probably going to be harsher on you because once again they don't feel like you've achieved it some will see also you as like a failed officer who's been sent back to lieutenant as a sort of refresher so you've just got all the different aspects of the empire probably not going to treat you great and you being an alien doesn't help Vanto and Thrawn get invited to basically play cards with a couple of people and Thrawn basically says, are we allowed to do that? And Vanto's like, well, not really. It's, you know, gambling is very thrown upon in the Empire, so you're not really meant to. And Thrawn says, cool, well, we'll go. We won't gamble at all and go from there. And Vanto says, this seems like it's going to go badly. And Thrawn's like, no, it's fine. Let's go. And it's worth noting that Thrawn actually keeps his lieutenant ranking in his sort of top pocket so people can't actually see it. So they kind of treat him as a new cadet, as a lower ranking individual so that they are not on their toes as much. As they're sort of, you know, Thrawn is just speaking to these two individuals. An officer comes in and asks what's going on here. And then Thrawn stands up with his lieutenant badge on and the officer walks away saying, okay, carry on. And Thrawn basically says some sort of snide comment to the two people who kind of tried to trap them in a sense and then leaves. For clarity, I'm sure you guys have all seen it in especially the original trilogy. Um, the rankings of the Empire, they're basically blue and red little squares. So it's basically, from what I can tell, it's always a blue and a red square up and down, red at the top, blue at the bottom. And yeah, so two of them is basically lieutenant and then you get more and more and it becomes more and more. And then also when you become, there's Moff, which is the second highest, and then there's grand moff but there's also admiral and grand admiral i think both the grands they are basically the same but a portion of the squares are then yellow instead of red or blue that's generally how you can do so the more red and blue tiles they have on their sort of pocket area that's higher the rank and if they've got any yellow in that they're even higher so Thrawn and Vanto are walking away from this card game, talking about things, and then Thrawn hears something, pushes Vanto over a hedge, and then three people immediately start trying to fight Thrawn. Thrawn's holding himself quite well together and things, and then Vanto throws some rocks and things and kind of gets involved a bit more, and the people scurry away as more cadets sort of show up and ask what's going on here. 
Thrawn then goes to Commander Dean Lark, who gave him the rank and things, explains who he thinks attacked him and the reasoning why, etc., saying like it was clearly we were set up. This whole card game thing, that was all connected things because they couldn't have appeared on time, they couldn't have done this, they couldn't have done that. So essentially, it's definitely them. And so Dean Lark says, okay, well, we'll trial them, we'll get them in prison. They'll either go into prison or they may even be executed, so thanks. And Thrawn says, well, there's no point doing that. Like, we can actually help the Empire instead of just punishing everyone. And Thrawn says that all three of them showed an aptitude necessary for fighter craft pilots. It was obvious by their method of attack. The way they moved in, it was a mark of instinctive combat pilots and the way they worked together. So, you know, why don't you just send them to the Sky Strike Academy? It's equally capable of the one here on Coruscant. And they can all start their new training in Communicado and just be sent off and not tell anyone. And then the two people who set up the card game to kind of get them ambushed and things, they have to stay, and they just realise that three of their closest friends, who they obviously organised the plot with, have just completely disappeared, and no one knows anything about what's happened to them. So that'll also frighten those two. So those two won't try and pull anything on Thrawn or anyone again, and the three who are trying to cause a fight, they've been sent off as a kind of punishment, but also to keep them going in the Empire. Thrawn says specifically that he attempts to solve problems. This is the best solution for the Empire as a whole, and that's the reason he's suggesting it. Three months later, Dean Lark then gives Thrawn a new lieutenant plaque. And Thrawn says, yeah, well, basically he forgot he already gave me one. And so he's kept the other one as a sort of souvenir and he's got another use for it. And also he's going to be the second weapons officer aboard a Gazanti-class cruiser called the Blood Crow. And he says to Vanto that basically Vanto wanted to be a supply officer because like his family business is all about being supply officers the kind of what he's good at analyzing you know taking notes all that sort of stuff he checks the terminal and it says that he's actually been put to the blood crow to aid lieutenant Thrawn Vanto says to Thrawn that lieutenants don't even get aids you set this up with the emperor didn't you and Thrawn's like well, no I didn't and Thrawn said well I pointed out to him that it probably makes most sense for the two of us to be on the same ship because we both speak Cybisti and we're going to places that there's likely to be Cybisti spoken so it just makes the most sense for us to both be on the same ship that's going to that specific region Vanto's quite annoyed about it and feels like he's going to be kind of stuck behind and then it finishes up with Eli Vanto's final monologue thing where it says Chiss do not make idle boasts or promises. Once they set their minds to something, they succeed or die in the attempt. As because Admiral Thrawn says specifically to Vanto that he'll become an admiral. So he has more power on how to sort of control things and he'll be able to then push Vanto to where specifically Vanto would want to go then. And that's the end of the first comic. So the next one of Vanto's log, basically the crawl at the start. And the mission is to assist in the capture of smugglers, aid distress vessels, and defuse political situations in the mid and the outer rims. And one of the notes it says, Due to Captain Rossi's recent replacement of Captain Virgilio, it is imperative to assist Lieutenant Thrawn with the proper protocols in order to assure his rise in the Imperial Navy is not thwarted by his lack of social skill. So he is... I'd probably say the best way to describe him in a lot of ways is he's kind of like Spock in Star Trek. He's kind of like Sherlock in the Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman BBC series. He's incredibly intelligent, but he doesn't really show emotion very much. And he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't want to dance around issues with social things and political things. He just wants the best job done and he will do that. And because of that, it kind of rubs up people the wrong way a lot of the time. So this comic starts with Vanto and Thrawn discussing something on the, um, the Blood Crow, the Gazanti class cruiser. Basically, Thrawn has accumulated some older things from the Clone Wars. He's got part of a hyperspace ring, which was what the or hyperdrive ring, which was what the Jedi starships used to go into hyperspace. Uh, the most prominent one you'd remember is in Attack of the Clones, so Episode Two. Now Obi Wan Kenobi's sort of triangle red and white ship goes into that ring thing when he's following Jango Fett uh, to Geonosis and all that sort of other jazz. So yeah, he's got one of those. Or part of one of those, as well as two buzz droids and a droidica. And the new captain comes around and says she wants to get rid of them. And Thrawn basically convinces her to keep it because they're very rare and you could sell them 
to a quite high value to certain collectors and things. And the thing is with Buzz Droids is these are Mark I models. And Mark I models have a Dunium shell, which is protecting the brain core, which was removed in later versions because it cost basically far too much money. And Dunium is an incredibly valuable resource, and it's starting, especially in the metal market, to be more and more sought after because someone, basically the Empire, is going around and buying it or taking it all from lots of places. Because it says later on in the comics, but just for clarity, Dunium is one of the many metals used in the construction of the Death Star. And for clarity, the Death Star, almost no one in the whole of the Empire knows at all, especially not Thrawn. A month later, they managed to track down this freighter that it basically has these locked canisters that are locked in their static locking canisters and they've got tibana gas in them and that's quite a valuable resource and it just seems to be this freighter that's left out in space so the blood crow ship goes to retrieve the uh, cargo now for clarity tibana gas is used in hyperdrives and in starships hyperdrives mainly as a coolant you can find this tibana gas in bespin in cloud city so that is basically in episode five where lando is you can find it there that's one of the many things they're mining for there and for clarity as well, a bit of fun, in Empire Strikes Back when Luke and Darth Vader are sort of fighting with the lightsabers, uh, at one point Luke grabs like a tubing and sprays this sort of smoky stuff at Vader. That is Tabana gas. And also Tabana gas can actually be used to put people in carbonite. So when harm was frozen in carbonite, you can use Tabana gas as a way of making carbonite. I believe you can make carbonite in other ways, but that's one of the many ways. And I believe it's mentioned somewhere that in sort of really older ships, where before hyperdrive was properly a thing or anything, so going back, I don't know how many hundreds of years it would be in the Star Wars universe, but what people used to do is they'd freeze themselves in carbonite or some sort of form of it to travel long distances. So you've seen that in like the Alien movies, uh, that's quite prominent in those. It's in a lot of sci-fi films where people go under, they go to status and it freezes them for hundreds if not thousands of years and then it brings them out. They've got a bit of hibernation sickness due to being in basically a coma for so long and that, that's kind of what it is, uh, what it can be used for. So it's just quite interesting getting a bit of background information on that stuff. So anyway, Thrawn and Vanto go on to this freighter that's got all this um, gas on it, sort of status locked and whatnot and there's a guy who basically holds them up. Uh, he holds the gun to them and everyone's put their hands up and they say, like, oh wait, I didn't realize you guys are Empire. Puts it down and says, look, I'm really sorry. Uh, we got attacked by pirates. So can you guys kind of help? Thrawn comes up with the idea that basically they're just going to take the canisters and it's going to use the buzz droids to open up the canisters. And then the guy pulls out a blaster and it is clear that he's lying. This gang of people kind of comes out and starts to surround Thrawn and Vanto. And this guy basically says to his gang, look, don't kill them. What we'll do is we'll get the buzz droid from Thrawn and then Thrawn and Eli are just put in the, the hold of the Marauder ship. Thrawn uses his second badge, which I spoke about a little bit earlier. He uses it as a sort of beacon, and the beacon connects to the other buzz droid that the, no one else is fully aware of. The buzz droid then basically frees them, attacks the guards, and Thrawn gets his buzz droid to activate some things in the ship, and it vacuums the ship, sucking all of the enemies out. After all of the sort of stuff has gone a bit crazy and things have calmed down a little bit, it turns out that the guy who kind of held them up and lied to them initially, he's called the Night Swan, he basically is some degree of part of the rebellion and whatnot, and that's what they were kind of doing. They seemed to be pirates, but they weren't really. And he manages to escape with the Tabana gas and things, but they manage to capture all the other gang members, it seems, as well as they get some ships and other stuff like that. The captain of the Imperial ship is basically saying she's very, very angry with Thrawn and Eli Vanto, suspends them until they get back to Coruscant and can figure out what to do with them. The pirates have been put in some sort of Imperial prison and Thrawn goes and speaks to them to interrogate them. He speaks to them, offers them basically tell us where the, the main guy, the Night Swan, also called Signy, uh, where he's gone to with all this gas and stuff and we'll basically let you free. If you can just do that, we'll give you civilian transport, you can leave, you're not important to us, you're just wasting our time, just tell us where he is and we'll get it sorted. 
They don't really want to cooperate. Thrawn leaves the room and then they kind of whisper among themselves in that language of Cybisti. And Thrawn is listening, he understands it, and they reveal where Signy slash Night Swan has gone. And then back on Coruscant, the Imperial Navy Judicial Panel speaks with Eli Vanto and Thrawn, and after all the investigations, they clear them of any insubordination or anything like that, because they believe that what Thrawn actually did was way better than the original plan, and therefore they're basically cleared of all charges. And Owen confronts Eli Vanto when he's by himself and basically says, look, we would like you to become the governor of uh, this other system and things because being an aide will not really go anywhere. We want to help you. And Vanto actually rejects the offer. And Vanto kind of realizes, he says, this isn't actually about me. You don't want me to promote. You just want me to get away from Thrawn. So he's kind of left by himself because you don't really like some of the stuff that he's doing. And then she basically kind of has a go at Vanto and Vanto leaves and says, look, I don't don't want to take the job. Thank you. And the woman says, well, I hope you like your rank as an ensign and to the aid of Thrawn because you're not going to go up in the ranks for a very long time because of it. And that's where the second comic ends. So the third issue of this is actually much more about Price. Her name is Arinda Price slash Governor Price. You know her as Governor Price from Star Wars Rebels. She's one of the main antagonists throughout, I think... She's in series one, but I'm pretty certain she's in series two a lot. Uh, and then she's in three and four quite a lot as well. At the time of Rebel, she's the governor of Lothal. And just for clarity, there's normally senators and governors. Governors are put in by the Empire to kind of keep things in check. And they're the real rulers, while the senators can just go argue things in the Imperial Senate. And the Imperial Senate has very little power compared to anything the Emperor wants to do. Governor Price, she's a woman. She seems to be about 45, maybe 50 years old-ish around the time of Rebels. And this is set quite a bit before that and they're sort of flashbacks and flash forwards but I'll try and kind of summarise so basically the Lothal governor at the time so this is going back to sort of a flashback pushes the Price family out of mining uh, they are essentially a mining family that's where they make a lot of their money and he manages to basically push them out Trying to, he's trying to take over the company he owns like a 30% stake in it and he wants to buy the rest off Price she refuses and because of that the governor gets the mum gets governor price's mum arrested uh, for some sort of stupid charge and so price then has to sell her share in the mining company just so she can get her mum out of prison basically obviously it's a big corrupt system and then she gets a job on coruscant she goes to some sort of party that's going to be introducing a lot of bigwigs a lot of sort of important officials and that's where she meets thrawn and wolf ularan now, Wolf Ularin, um, he is in A New Hope. He's got a very fine moustache in A New Hope. I'm not sure he has any speaking lines. He wears white, and he's got a fine moustache, which is cool. He does die on the Death Star, unfortunately. And the reason I say unfortunately is because he is in the Clone Wars quite a lot. He's a Republic officer. He works with Anakin Skywalker quite a lot. And he's voiced by a gentleman called Tom Kane, who also voices Yoda in the Clone Wars. And he also voices the narrator. So when you watch Clone Wars, at the start of every episode, it does this roundup thing of, you know, war. Anakin Skywalker is doing this and Obi-Wan is doing that but they need to do this that sort of thing that voice is the same voice as Captain or Admiral Ularan depending on where you are and Ularan he's in the Clone Wars a lot he is faithful to the Republic when it becomes the Empire he just basically stays where he is rank wise and just becomes a part of the Empire he is in Star Wars Rebels for one episode I believe but he's most proficient in the Clone Wars and he is one of the he's another one of those characters where he is quite important in a lot of ways of what he does but he's not in the movies very much at all after sort of the nice season speaking with that sort of stuff, Governor Price is basically just an aide at the moment. She's not very high up and she's basically just taking things and giving messages to people and things, just basically an assistant. Where Price met Grand Admiral Thrawn and that sort of thing, from what I can tell, that was sort of two years before the events of what's happening in Thrawn at the moment. So it's kind of like a prequel to Price, but 
I'm just going to summarise it. She's basically given a data card by a senator. She takes it to the moth. The moth takes it and doesn't give it back and gives her something else to give back to the senator. That gets the senator into a lot of trouble and things. She doesn't really seem to care that much because the senator was basically the reason of her whole family losing her mining stuff. Then, six months after that all happens, she's got some friends and she gets involved with a mining advocacy group which would put her back on Coruscant, and there's a better rank in the social standing of things. It's better for her to be in like the head of an advocacy group instead of being just the aide to someone. She's in this advocacy group for a while, and then eventually she sees she's in this sort of self-defense class thing that she's in with a couple of her friends. Thrawn and the Imperial officers come in to talk for, to a couple of people. Thrawn does a little sparring session with the, the master of the dojo, in a sense, because it's like self-defense in that sort of way. And Thrawn more he either holds his own against him or he actually kind of beats him. And so that just kind of adds to the fact that we know that Thrawn is very, very good at hand-to-hand combat and things because it shows it in Rebels quite a lot. Price is then basically taken to Moff Gaddy, who is accusing her of basically this advocacy group she's a part of, basically trying to undermine him and do all sorts of other things, and saying that since your advocacy group's been involved with a couple of things, we've had two raids uh, on things that they shouldn't necessarily have known about, and he then accuses Tarkin of, he basically says, look, you're working for Tarkin, aren't you? You're trying to undermine me through him, and she's like, I I don't know what you're talking about. She then goes talks to Thrawn, gives him all the information, says, look, I just want to be on the right side of the right people, so I'm just telling all you this so that when things go wrong, I'm in the clear. Thrawn then sorts out a meeting between Tarkin and Price. They discuss things, and Price gives him data pads from the Senator, from the Moth, from basically everyone that she's involved with, saying that she thinks that her two friends are rebels and rats them out. She thinks that, obviously, uh, Moff Gaddy is trying to undermine Tarkin and has a recording of their conversation where he is basically just accusing Tarkin of everything and brings him loads of other evidence and stuff. He applauds her for her ingenuity and basically helping him being on the right side of things, and yeah, she rats out her friends who are the rebels, and he says, well, what do you want out of all this? And she says she wants the governorship of Lothal. He says, well, that, that's surprising. I didn't expect that. Um, yeah, I mean, with all this information you give me, you could have probably got something better. But yeah, if you want to be governor of Lothal, go ahead. And then that part of the comic ends with Governor Price ratting out basically her best friends who got the job of in the advocacy group and all that sort of stuff and get them arrested. I think they go to prison for like 20 years or something silly uh, for treason. And it's just showing that she's basically ruthless in the betrayal of friends and etc. just to get to power. Um, It's a weird little caveat thing about Price. It's all right. There you go. So number four, Thrawn is sent to sort out a dispute on a planet called Cypher. Uh, there's natives and colonists basically arguing with each other quite a lot. Thrawn talks to the Committee of Humans, which are the colonists, um, and they basically say, yeah, th- these natives are killing us, they're doing this, they're doing that, or whatever. So Thrawn then goes talks to the natives, uh, it's Chief Jocko, and it's a species that I wasn't familiar with. And basically Chief Jocko is saying, look, these colonists keep ambushing us, coming to our land, stealing our things, destroying our crops, etc. So Thrawn says that he'll wait at night and just wait for them. He ambushes them and he notices that the humans are basically stealing pre-spice. Spice is a drug in Star Wars. It's basically the same as opium. Opium comes from poppies. You can make morphine out of it. You can make lots of great things for medical and medicinal uses. But also you can make heroin out of it and things. That's basically what spice is meant to be like. Pre-spice is something that can be converted into lots of medicinal purposes. But there's a lot of the drug cartels and crime lords and things like that in Star Wars. They use pre-spice or spice. So yeah, Thrawn and Vanto ambush the people trying to steal the pre-spice, and then he orders a space bombardment on the area, and 
essentially the reason he did that he gets all of the civilians evacuated and whatnot but he destroys a lot of it and he says look this has solved a problem we've basically beaten up and repelled a lot of the people who were going to try and steal from you we've also destroyed anything that they would want to steal uh, if you're upset about these go and appeal to Coruscant but this was the best way to solve every problem so we've got no casualties everyone's completely fine it's just that you're going to have to try a little bit harder for your harvest and things so they go back to Coruscant and Thrawn gets a promotion and then also Eli Vanto gets his first promotion in ages. So Thrawn is promoted to Commodore and Eli Vanto is promoted to Lieutenant Commander. Tarkin runs by them and basically congratulates them as well and is also told that they've got a new ship which is the Chimera Star Destroyer. And that is actually one that you see in Star Wars Rebels and on the underside of it you have what seems to be some sort of version of a chimera it's basically two snake heads kind of interwoving they're almost like dna the way dna kind of looks like kind of weaving and now each other the snakes with lots of other cool stuff it's very cool this is the panel i've taken a photo of so if you check on social media you'll be able to see it uh, or you can just type in chimera star destroyer thrawn and you'll see what it looks like and then this comic ends with thrawn being commanded to take the 96th which i think is either the 96th legion or just generally the people in the star destroyers um he says take the 96th to salmon s-a-m-m-u-n and there's a commander called Duril who is basically told to go to baton and to fight the rebels and things thrawn and vanto mainly thrawn gives some advice and says i think this is what you should do in this situation Durell tells him no that he's going to do it his way and then so Thrawn kind of goes, okay, we'll leave you to that. Uh, and then what Thrawn and Vanto do is they say what they're going to do is they're going to go sneakily and follow Duril. They're going to watch him from a distance in a little ship while his Star Destroyer the 96th goes to Samuel. And as long as they do everything that Thrawn told them to do, they'll be fine. So issue number five has got Thrawn and Vanto. They're watching Duril's ships basically get almost destroyed. The Star Destroyer is on top of this planet. It has a planetary shield all the way around it. And the Star Destroyers are not using very good tactics. They're just kind of shooting a lot. And then the shield opens up a little bit. A big old iron blast gets shot out, damages the Star Destroyer, and a lot of Duril's fleet gets damaged. Thrawn and Vanto see a small ship escape and they speak to it over the comms and they basically say that they're there to trade. They manage to get onto board. Thrawn kind of hangs back and hides while Vanto meets the Night Swan again. He tries to kind of con his crew, then the Night Swan recognizes him from a previous, and while they're kind of talking and things, Thrawn does a diversion and blows up some part of the ship. While all the chaos is going on, Thrawn and Vanto manage to leave and they actually steal one of the rebels' ships. Thrawn gets out, they go back to sort of uh, speak with all the um, Empire and whatnot about how what happened at Duril as well as what happened at Salmon. Salmon was a complete success and everyone in Thrawn's command did exactly what he said to do uh, in the Star Destroyer. And Duril is told to pull back because he failed so miserably. He needs to repair the Star Destroyer as best he can, bring them back to Coruscant so they can fully get repaired. And then Thrawn is given command of basically trying to take over that planet Baton. Price says to them, look, let me go planet side. I'll scope the area. I'll find that out. My parents are down there as well. I'd like to save them, but I want to scope out the area and things. And because my parents are down there, they won't know my actual intentions. I'll go there. I'll see. I'll find the shield generator. I'll see what all the rebels are doing. I'll report back to you guys. Thrawn decides to agree, and they all kind of go off and do that. He uses an unusual battle tactic, which is he puts the Star Destroyers really, really close to the shield generator and just kind of leaves them there. And while that's happening, Price goes finds out her parents. She's taken there with an agent, one of the officers. She goes there. She manages to kind of swindle one of the the Imperial officer. He goes off by himself. She hangs back with her parents. She tells the parents, come on, let's go. We need to evacuate this place. You guys are in danger. And then the comic ends with Thrawn sending a message to the Night Swan saying, come on, let's go meet. Because Night Swan and Thrawn have been these sort of nemesises for a while. Nemeses for a while. 
And so the final comic. Uh, Thrawn and Night Swan are standing on the planet and they're talking about potentially helping each other and things and what they know about the Death Star. Thrawn basically explains to him you know what he a little bit of what he knows about the death star to a degree but not giving away very much information says to him look i'll let you live but what i'd like you to do is work for the chiss if you go to this place and whatever you'll be able to speak with my people i think that you could be really valuable to them but if you stay on the path you're on with rebellion and whatnot not only will you get killed but you just won't be of any use to anyone the nice one does disagree with that he he says no i'm not going to do it. i want to stay with the rebellion and whatnot and then Thrawn actually gives some information about how he was found. When he was found right at the start, it was meant to seem like he was some sort of savage and he was exiled by the Chiss and uh, all that sort of stuff. That was just a cover story. He'd only been there for a few weeks. Um, he'd basically been sent there specifically on a mission to do exactly what he did, rise up the ranks of the Empire, and then if the ultimate evil does attack the Chiss, then the Empire will be on their side. Then it goes back to Price, who's with her parents and things. The agent says that they can't bring them. Uh, his name is Agent Gudry. Uh, he says that he can't bring them and stuff, gets a bit aggressive, and so Price kills him. Price then escapes with the parents. They find the insurgents, kind of pretend that they're with them and things, and then as soon as the parents' backs are turned, she manages to kill a lot of the insurgents. There's an explosion that goes off. It's all quite sneaky. And then they basically escape. They got on the insurgents' vehicles, go nearer where the Empire are, leave, go the rest of the way on foot, then approach the Empire and approach a couple of squads of stormtroopers to escape. They ask where that agent is. She says, I don't know. He seems to have got... He went off without us. And so... They say, okay, well, we'll take you back. We'll swing by your parents' place to, to check. They swing by the parents' place to check. The stormtroopers go into the thing, find that Agent Gudry has been shot. And as they look up, Price flies the transport away from them, blows up the house, killing all the witnesses and any evidence, and manages to basically escape. Meanwhile, in space, Thrawn is back on the ship and things, and the Night Swan sends out some ships to basically go and attack. But none of the ships are shooting or anything like that, because all the Star Destroyers are facing the other way. They're not attacking anything, and Thrawn says, look, don't attack, don't do anything. Just allow all these ships to kind of show themselves. I don't think the Night Swan's going to attack on, basically, Star Destroyers that aren't shooting back or anything like that. It's part of his moral code. And then all of these ships fly around the Star Destroyers and things, and when they're at a certain point, the Star Destroyers let out loads and loads of TIE Fighters, which was, for some reason, people were quite surprised about that, and I don't really find follow because I, th- I thought all star destroyers have got loads of tie fighters anyway anyway they let out loads of tie fighters there's a big dog fight the tie fighters destroyed pretty much all of the uh, rebel ships and the battle is basically a big success all the rebels die the knight swan's corpse is found so he does get killed and essentially thrawn's battle tactics won once again there was very little imperial casualties or damage to anything and he did an absolutely stellar job then the sort of final parts of this is that Price speaks to Thrawn by himself and Thrawn says to him, look, I know you. He basically says, I have something for you. And Price says, oh, a question. And he says, it's not a question, it's a statement. And she says, look, before you go into that, let me just remind you that I'm a governor, I've got all these things, and it's probably wise for me to be on your good side and vice versa. Then we can work with each other, you know. We can help each other out, essentially, because you're clearly not very good on the political side of the Empire because you may have all the best battle tactics, but people don't seem to like you very much. And you seem to, you know, if you have one wrong misstep, then it's everything's going to come crumbling down it might be worth working with me uh, and so basically it's that Thrawn knows that Price went on planet side saved her parents and killed loads of people and he's decided to not tell anyone because she said that she will help him but she says in exchange she wants him to help her with a pesky group of rebels on Lothal and it does like a little silhouette thing where you can see the main characters in Star Wars Rebels Sabine Wren Zeb Chopper Kanan Ezra Hera Syndulla and she says look can you help me with these guys and I'll be able to help your political career a lot and we'll be a team essentially. Thrawn agrees says that makes sense why not Uh, and then Thrawn gets promoted to Grand Admiral which is what he is when he's in Rebels and that's a very very high rank. 
He meets Palpatine, where that's where he gets his promotion from, Palpatine, and Thrawn asks him about the Death Star. Uh, Palp explains what the Death Star is and things in, to some degree, and Thrawn has his own sort of worries about it, and Palpatine says, look, we won't be using it on the Chiss. We won't use it on any of your people or anything, because I assume that's why you've asked about it. You don't need to worry about the Death Star. And Thrawn says... That's really that's cool, great. Um, but I would warn you not to use too many resources in the Death Star because you know if anything happened to it, we've wasted a lot of resources and it thins out the rest of the fleet. Palpatine disagrees with him, but kind of pushes it aside to not get into an argument with it. And then Thrawn meets Vader. Obviously, Thrawn had already kind of met Vader because he met Anakin, which is detailed in the next book. But he probably does meet him. And then the final thing, the final sort of page of the comic is Eli Vanto contacts the Chiss on Thrawn's recommendation and they believe that he can be of use to them and there's an agreement in place and that's where it ends. So Thrawn went up all the ranks. He's got a partnership with Governor Price. He's going to sort out the rebels on Lothar to help her out because she's the governor of Lothar and is having a lot of troubles and things. And he's promoted. He meets Vader. I think he goes on some sort of mission with Vader. That's like the next part of the Thrawn saga in some ways before season four of Rebel starts that's from what I can tell uh, and then Eli Vanto he appears again in Thrawn Treason but as I said I haven't read Thrawn Treason so I don't know what else happens to him in that but that is basically a summary of the Thrawn book slash the Thrawn comics I didn't do this as a book review I've got a plans for a book review coming up but I didn't do it like a book review because I haven't read the book so I did it as a kind of comic thing and as you can tell it is good and if you're really into Thrawn it's worth a read it's very very wordy and it looks quite cool, and it, it was enjoyable to reread to a degree, but I feel like it's six issues, and it probably feels like it could be a lot less, and you may have been able to tell I was getting... It's, it's quite hard to read these comics and translate it into a way where you can kind of summarise things and kind of not summarise things. It's It was a hard one to try and convert, in a sense, into this format. It, it took a long time, so I hope you guys enjoyed it. But that's some more information on Thrawn and whatnot. If they do make another Thrawn comic series adaptation of the books, I will be tackling it. But to my knowledge, there won't be any more, at least for a while. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, just for clarity, this is going to be my last episode of 2020. Um, there's another, like next week, I'm not going to release anything on this podcast or on Genuine Chit Chat. I'm going to have a nice break after this weekend and not do any editing, recording or anything like that. So I'll be back in, it'll be... The second week in January, I'll be back with normal stuff. I think I'm going to finish off the Age of Republic specials, which is going to be the Anakin Skywalker, the Padme one, and the two specials, one with Rex and Jar Jar and one with Mace Windu. Then that'll be the Age of Republic comics, completely finished, which will be cool. And then after that, I think it'll be tackling a book because episode 40 will probably be a book review. Uh, I'm trying to keep it like... 20 and 40 I don't know maybe I won't do a book review then I don't know but then obviously there's the the next of the Afro runs as in the next additions in the Afro comics there's the remaining comics of this main run of Star Wars because obviously the last thing I did for that was the Screaming Citadel crossover between Afro and Star Wars so I'll be doing those and then there's lots of there's more mini series to get my teeth into there's the Kanan series which is quite hefty. I might have to do that in two parts. There's the Age of Rebellion comics that are all the one-shots. There's the Age of Resistant ones. There's the TIE Fighter comic I've yet to tackle. Um, there are a few more bits and pieces here and there as well, but there's also the High Republic comics that are coming in January that I'm very excited about, so I'll be tackling them. I don't know how I'm going to be working with them. I think maybe after each story arc, then I'll do some sort of 
roundup thing so that'd be quite a current thing to do um there's also the high republic books that are coming out that i'll be reading and then i'll be doing reviews on those as well lots of cool stuff that you can sort of expect from the show and i'm aiming to get more star wars authors on as well it's already in talks for me to speak with another star wars author so obviously my chat with claudia gray went really well and a lot of people have come back to me and said how much they enjoyed that so thanks to you guys for listening to that uh, i put that on both genuine chit chat and also on styles comics and canon and yeah more star wars authors to come in the next year hopefully uh there's going to be more other conversations i'll be having with people as roundups about stuff there's obviously all the disney plus series that are coming out and also at the moment with comics in motion we've done every week um we've been doing a mandalorian special episode i've been recording nuggets of information so sort of other connections of the episodes of mandalorian to other parts of the star wars canon and then also we've just been discussing about the episodes and what we liked about it that is on this very feed of Comics in Motion, and I believe we will be recording the finale episode this coming Monday. So I'm recording this on the 19th of the 12th. So before Christmas, there'll be the finale episode of the Star Wars Mandalorian specials that we've been releasing as well. And obviously, as I always say, check out my show, Genuine Chit Chat. Uh, the episode I've got coming out probably tomorrow is going to be my Christmas special. I did it with a collaboration. I did it with my girlfriend, Megan, and I also did it with a uh, podcaster I've collaborated with in the past, which is Moxie Labouche, who does a podcast called Your Brain on Facts. So I'm very excited to release that podcast. So subscribe to Genuine Chit Chat for a Christmas special. Check out other stuff on the Comics and Motions feed for all the other amazing shows and also the Mandalorians specials that we've been doing for each episode and yeah i hope you all have a wonderful holiday season and a merry christmas and a great end to 2020 it's been a weird year but you know fingers crossed the next year can start all well uh make sure you send your recommendations to me of anything you want me to tackle in this show and we'll kind of go from there it's been an absolute wonderful thing to start this podcast this year and it's been so much fun doing it and i really hope you guys have enjoyed it too make sure you subscribe to comics and motions subscribe to genuine chit chat you can find me on all social media places at genuine chit chat i post photos for the comics i post occasional movie reviews photos of my tortoise girl my story quite a lot and little videos of her eating and things so if you want to see that that's quite cute uh you can also see all of the the things that i've been involved with i post all the collaborations i've been doing and all the other stuff but all that detail is in the show notes thank you as always for listening guys i'll talk to you in a couple of weeks time in 2021 and as always may the force be with you the intro for star wars comics and canon is arranged by myself mike burton and the backing music was made by eric matias of soundimage.org you have just experienced host creator everything else of genuine chit chat and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.